Hey there. Welcome to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Fennessy, and I'm joined by Master Anna Planner, Donna Sumar. During this podcast journey, we hope to explore high-level Anaplan modeling concepts and connect you, the listener, with the expert Anaplanners that are at the forefront of the platform's innovation. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with our amazing guests. We plan to feature guests that span multiple industries, such as retail, finance, supply chain, sales, and many others, as well as bringing in pioneers in advanced data modeling and data integrations. Our goal is to provide our audience with as much free knowledge, value, and insights into the ecosystem. So we hope that you join us in that mission. Welcome back to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, John Furneaux, filling in for Zach today. As always, I'm joined by the co-host and Anaplan guru, Donna Sumar. We are also joined today by another fantastic guest. She's an Anaplan customer, model builder, and has a ton of experience with financial planning and analysis, Stephanie Weiland. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Stephanie. Great to be here. Super excited about what you guys are doing. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we'll start off with a little bit about your background. Tell us, you know, how, your background and how you came across Anaplan. Yeah. So uh, many years ago, I actually started in casino gaming and worked for a pretty big family out in uh, Las Vegas. If you think of before corporations took over, they built half the strip. And uh, that's kind of where my model building experience um, started. So learned with a venture capitalist on how to build a model to get funding and um, really just kind of gravitated to that. Um, after I left there, I uh, moved and went to Seattle and actually started working for Bill Gates Investments. And I brought that kind of model building experience with me, continued to build upon it. Um, found out how much money he actually really does have, and it was very surprising. <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of continued in the Excel world of model building, you know, cash flows, you know, DCF models, all kinds of stuff in the finance space. So I'll talk about what his return on investment was. Um, you know, I, I, I did get bored. Um, I wanted to find out what tools were out there that they were using instead of all the Microsoft Office suite products, um, and this was like before BI360, and uh, ended up working um, over in retail and worked for Nordstrom and started working with the TM1 Cognos over there. And I was an end user at that point, um, became like best friends, I feel, with that team that oversaw that uh, Cognos thing and found out all the ins and outs of it, started working with it. It was much, I guess, better tool when you work in a large, grander scale with lots of moving parts than it is in Excel. And so I kind of learned about that. Then I kind of went into healthcare and my main purpose of joining the team was to build the finance team and all the processes. And that was kind of where my expertise was, is in the FP&A world. And, um, you know, I was the first finance person and the number one question before I joined, I said, you know, are you going to give me resources? And I mean resources, not just in people, but tools. Are you willing to invest in tool, tools? Because they had nothing. And so they said yes. And I said, awesome. So the first year I focused on all the business needs and what they want. It was very high growth 
industry, um, put the foundation, mapped everything out. I call it drawing the blueprint of what um, everything looks like. And then I kind of, once I understood that, talked with the business and said, what is your problem? You know, what what solutions, you know, can I provide or map out um, that will alleviate your problems? And I went on a journey to find the tool that fit and that would help solve all those answers and um, pretty kind of uh, big, big journey because I looked at all these different competitors that were in the space to Anaplan and uh, got a panel internally that consisted of the CIO, um, the CFO, and the head of purchasing. And we said, here's all of our criteria, laid it all out. Started, I started sourcing all the vendors, narrowed it down to like four that did some big presentations to us, came up with two finalists. Um, those two finalists, one of them was Anaplan and another one was an SAP product, which is something I really didn't want. And I knew I really didn't want Cognos, knowing what I knew about Cognos. And um, the Anaplan rep kind of said, because we were really on the fence, they said, we'll come in, we'll do a proof of concept, but how about you give us a day, we'll do a workshop for you, and we'll show you what we can do in a single day. So I took them up. I was like, fine, let's let's go. Let's do this. And gave the SAP people the same opportunity, same set of data, same set of problems, same timeline. And I wasn't just interested in the end product that they sell you on. This, this is all the fancy bells and whistles that we can do. I wanted to see what does it take? What does it take for someone like me and someone for folks that I'm hiring to maintain this tool? Because I'm interested on the changes that happen with the business cycle. The business model is always evolving. Can your tool be agile enough and flexible enough to adapt to those changes? So that's what the core I was looking for. So that one-day workshop really let me take a look under the hood and say, here's what it takes to get this done. And Anaplan was very impressive. And that was like six years ago. And we're still using Anaplan today. So I hope that covers everything. <laughs> That is a tremendous background, long journey to get to this point with Anaplan and really a tough sell. It sounds like they had to come in and, and know what they were doing and be able to show you, you know, what you're getting into, which kind of leads into the next question. Now you, you selected Anaplan as the software to, to tackle your business needs. So what was your learning process like starting as a customer or an end user? Well, it's like a great question. Um, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, th through that, you know, you kind of have to take off the hat and be very open-minded and take off the hat of this is the way it's always been done. And I really couldn't do that. And I really, I don't really, I've never actually really loved that concept. Oh, this is the way we've always done it. So we should continue to do it that way. I mean, I'm always looking at it. How do I raise the bar? How do I make things better? Like we learned something, we may have knocked it out of the park. But the second we sit here and we say, hey, it was perfect and I can't get any better, I mean, you're you're already like, you know, diminishing yourself. You're saying that I'm done. There's nowhere else to go. There's no improvements. And where you're in when you're in finance, if you start doing the things that were done like 10, 20 years ago, you're behind and best practices, right? You're always moving forward, ready to adapt and say, where's the next 
problem myself because I guarantee you, you might be really, really proud of what you did and you should be, but you should always be asking yourself, well, what can I do better? Did this problem that I just solved, is there because I've solved that and I have something new to show you, does that open the door for other opportunities and ideas? And can I start tackling that? And so Anaplan kind of, I feel like, accelerated that because I wasn't, we weren't constrained with, okay, the certain dimensions that Excel allows you to do or the other tools allow you to do. They kind of give you a box, you build it, and then you must continue down the path of the box you built and you're not able to kind of round out the edges of the box you created, if I could say that. So that's kind of been the 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 biggest thing and the adaptability to say, hey, I'm going to, I want to change the way I view the world and I don't have to go back and go back to those other products and say, I need you to rebuild me from square one. And then it'd be obsolete six to 12 months later and have to go back again and again. Anaplan's just kind of allowed us to kind of, I don't want to say bolt on, but continually improve the cycle, change it, be able to adapt to the change in the business, answer the new questions, repivot it, you know, do different things without like breaking the world. It's like a constantly remolding of the models we have. And I have rebuilt some of our models, you know, because there's just better ways to do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you talked a little bit about change in particular. I think that was kind of a theme as you were going through uh, kind of your experience with Anaplan so far. Can you talk a little bit about what, how change management has been like? I feel like you as a leader kind of see the value of Anaplan, but how, how has change management been part of your role as a leader in your organization and kind of convincing all the stakeholders to come on board with you? Yeah. I think we all talk about change management like it's something easy to do. Change is really hard. Um, and, you know, I can be a huge proponent and, and like, um, hey, the Anaplan's awesome. It can do all these things. And the influence I have really does help um, with that. But, you know, we have change in leadership that happens and then you've got to re-educate and redo it all over and over again. And you know, at some point you're like, oh, I just got over this hurdle. Do I have to go back and do it again? And you do. And it's just when you, what I have found the best way to approach, you know, changes and to advocate for a solution like Anaplan um, to fix their things is you really have to lean in and listen. And um, that goes like even consultants that I've worked on and with projects, like the best consultants I've ever worked with are the ones that really leaned in and, and really heard what I had to say and not just take it complacently. Oh, I hear from every customer it's complicated. Um, but the ones who kind of took the time and, and like listening is like more than just that. It's understanding what the person is saying and so if you do that within change management with your leadership and the folks that can really kind of make those big decisions you have to say well what what problem are you trying to solve what and and most of the time most leaders have an idea in their head on what the answer is so you really have to find out you know what 
what are they really looking for? Like they say, hey, I need you to do it this way. And you could do it exactly what they ask them. And more than not, 10 times out of, you know, nine out of 10, they'll say, oh, that's not really what I was looking for. So I always find like, find out what their answer is, understand their problem, and then, you know, provide them the information to get them there. And once you start to buy that rapport, buy that respect, buy that, hey, I'm accurate. And, you know, and then when they throw the 10 questions at you after that, you can be prepared for some of those answers. And then it's really just your response. Hey, that's a great question. I think I know the answer to it. Or I think I know where I need to go. You know, give me some time to get back to you. And then like follow up with them and continue to be in there. So once you buy that from them, then you can say, well, here's, here's a different way we can do it. If we solve this problem, couldn't we be able to have all these other opportunities to do more with it? What do you think about that? Right. And, and make it so it's kind of like they're brought along as part of the process on the opportunity to solve more issues, to get them more data information, to make better decisions. Cause that's what a leader wants to do. They want solutions to their problems and they want to know what opportunities that create more value. And the sooner people understand that, the better you are at influencing and being better at change management. Yeah, I think um, what you said there was was huge, right? So for all the solution architects, master and planners out there, consultants, like listening is such a huge component of what we should be doing. It's not all about just the models and the formulas and the best practices. It's also about kind of the relationships that are in play, right? Um, so when you think about kind of your own career journey, like what was it or when was it that you kind of reached that level of understanding that, you know, it's about listening, there's an element of people involved, like what, where did you kind of learn or stumble upon that? You know, um, I feel like it was a lot of what I thought were great leaders, people I looked up to. Um, I started kind of asking myself what makes them different you know, from everybody else. And it was kind of just um, my own analytical mind going, you know, what do they have that others don't? Like what makes them stand out from the herd, right? And that's really what I tapped into. It's, and that's, and that's what taps into influence. Like your influence of a company is when people like really truly believe, like, I don't care how much you know, I care how much you care, right? And so if you show them I care, that's listening. And listening being, I hear you, I understand what you're saying, let me repeat it back to you. It's just to clarify, hey, I was listening. It's like active listening, something I tell my husband all the time. Did you really listen to what I had to say? <laughs> I told you that like three times already. <laughs> Wash the dishes. <laughs> No, but I mean, it is simple as, as that. You can take that into business. You can take that in your personal relationships. You know, people don't know, care how much you know. They care how much you care. And you really have to show that to really win, you know, in people's minds and hearts. They go back and they say, not only is Stephanie smart, but she really understands where I'm coming from. And she's really trying to help me. And I want to work with somebody like that. And that's really kind of where things start to happen and the magic starts to happen. You really have to like buy that from others. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate 
um, the change management side for sure. I've been on the end of good change management and bad change management. And to your point, uh, when you don't bring along the right people, it definitely makes it harder to make the changes. And uh, I think that's really insightful. And you figuring out, you know, leaders, why is this leader different than the other leader? And, and touching on influence is huge, especially in an industry where it's kind of hard sometimes to change from old software to something new and you don't know it. And maybe you don't know how you're going to learn it. Like I, I know some businesses can't really make that migration. It's just too much lift and shift for them. So that's huge. Yeah, it's a mindset, you know definitely a mindset you have to you have to really kind of be there and be willing to say I'm really willing to grow and improve and and make it better like I don't want to stay where I'm at because there are problems with where I'm at I'm willing to move forward exactly so what are some unique challenges that healthcare has when Anaplan model building and how do you overcome those issues so um I've actually been in the healthcare industry twice as long as everywhere else. It's been like seven years and um, I'm usually like two to four year range and I move on to another industry. Healthcare is really challenging. You know, it's changing every year and there are so many factors at place that it is actually probably the most complicated industry I've ever worked with. And every year I'm learning something new. And just when I feel like I get it, I realize there's so much more that I don't know because, you know, the federal government can change something. The state government can change something. State Medicaid plans can change. Private health insurance can change. I mean, everybody talks about how much Obamacare changed everything. It did. And it continues to change and evolve after that. But there's a lot of players in the market of healthcare. You've got insurance companies, you have, you know, the manufacturers of the drugs, you have prescribers and providers and how they're kind of doing things. You have the patient, and then you have all the different types of, you know, illnesses that people are dealing with and their treatment plans and it is such a broad spectrum that, you know, and it's, it's not consistent, right? You, you would think, oh, healthcare is all the same. What people don't know about healthcare is that everybody has got a different deal or hand, you know, I don't want to call it a handshake deal, but they've got some different, you know, contract shapes and everything that deeply influence not just the company that they work for, but all the other companies that do it. So everybody's got a hand in the healthcare and it's very different um, and it changes every single year. And you have to kind of say, well, if I change it over here, what is the domino impact of everywhere else? And understanding how all of that is connected is kind of like the key of really being successful to say, okay, if this state that I am, you know, 10% of my business is and is on a physical budget hold because they didn't get their budget planned inside, there's like cease to be funding for those couple of months. You really kind of have to send, what does that impact? Do I get it back? Are they able to roll back? Are they, or am I just not going to get paid? Or, and and the healthcare company I work for, like, we don't just say, oh, your, your Medicaid is uh, not going to pay for it. We still, we still provide a service to them because they're sick. They need it. And so um, 
sometimes, you know, we write stuff off because of those small situations and understanding the size of that impact is really important. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces there. So I guess you can't really master it. And I assume Anaplan helps with a lot of those, that planning and strategizing to make things go a little bit quicker and, and have that real-time access. Uh, but still on Anaplan, is there a functionality that Anaplan could develop uh, that would make an immediate impact on your day-to-day? Uh, does it have a crystal ball feature to tell the future? <laughs> Can it be like always right? Uh, I know that's like the, the wish list, you know, thing. Um, one thing I've been really curious with Anaplan that I don't think they've mastered quite yet is, you know, predictive analytics is a hot topic and everyone talks about it. And you know, for for finance people uh, and even accountants, they got to like do their own math and their own little spreadsheet. They got to prove it all out. They got to find everything wrong with your approach, you know, and they have to do all of that before they're like bought in. And, um, you know, predictive analytics and all the statistics and the data science behind it, it I feel like they all like, oh, that's all theory, right? And um, I'm still waiting for it to be to be really what all the hype's about. Like when you get into the details of what it is, like I'm still like going, this is still questionable. And are we really are we really there to be able to do predictive analytics where we can rely at like self-driving cars? And so that's the question I've kind of been asking, like, are we even ready for that? Could I, you know, could I have that within, you know, our company to do predictive analytics that are reliable, that aren't just like, you know, directionally correct is one way. And I don't even think we're almost there. Um, But that's kind of where I feel like that would be really valuable to get that bought in. And I know they've started that. I just haven't been sold on it yet. Do you guys have insight on that? (laughs) I think a lot of the reason why it's lagging behind is still this big problem with data, right? Because when it comes to machine learning and, and AI, it really only can learn what you feed it. And if you feed it garbage, it's going to learn garbage. So I think we're in a shift now where everything's going digital, going to the cloud, especially in the healthcare system. I'm sure you've seen bundles of paper that's still used on a daily basis, all that's being digitized. And if it's not done correctly or cleanly, then it's going to be fed into these systems and it's just going to delay the process of getting to that self-driving car fantasy life. Uh, That's my two cents, at least where I've seen it in opportunities data integration wise. Yeah. Like I would also just add to that, like, you know, I think computers, Maybe you have an algorithm that can spit out an accurate forecast, right? But, you know, it's like computers can be accurate, but it, it, if there's human error involved in any of the data consumption or if the data is bad, you know, humans aren't perfect, even though computers might be, right? So I think there's an element of just, um, you know, there's still time, um, you know, and speaking of time, like how long do you think we are away from something like that? Uh, becoming more of a regular thing so like five years ten years like what what's your estimate there you know i have i don't know because you know you've got to get over that well humans are just always evolving and changing and changing their minds right 
So, and a computer is only as good as what you tell it to do, right? So I think we have to kind of get that and data is, is key, right? And sometimes you don't know what data you need until you see the data you have. Um, you know, I don't know. I hope, I hope we're only a couple years away from it. I want to believe like next year, but it's, I think it's going to take longer. So I don't know. I'm not taking any bets either because I don't think I'm right. <laughs> this goes out to all those uh, machine learning developers out there. Huge opportunity. You got two-year time limit. Let's go. <laughs> Bringing it back, how would you describe where Anaplan resides and what its use is in your organization's software suite? You know, so we're primarily um, a finance tool, right? Budgets, long-range planning, forecast. Uh, we do a little bit of workforce planning in there. Um, what kind of puts it in front of more people is not just like the budgeting platform because we get every single leader in our company involved with budgets. But, you know, the whole internal reporting cycle is actually in, available in Anaplan. So people can go in and see, you know, their actual performance to budget or even last year. We're looking at our key performance metrics inside the tool, um, looking, they can sit there and look at how do, how do they compare against their peers? So well, there's a whole ranking system in there where, you know, there's like a, a little bit of incentive plan tied into that. So there's a lot of people kind of in the tool on a monthly, regular basis. Um, where I see opportunity is kind of like my next change management type hurdle that I'm trying to overcome is to get expand outside of the finance um, space. And given that that's kind of where I'm in, I, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm a cross collaborator. But when it comes down to some of these tools and these projects, like I've got, you know, sales and purchasing saying, hey, I think I have this use case and I've looked at it. And I'm like, this, this looks like something we should kind of pursue and do. And the current Thing that I'm actually trying to influence is saying, if we did these other things that aren't finance cases, how does what they do from their business standpoint influence forecasting to help us forecast and predict better future results, right? So if we leverage that, that's kind of how we can do that. And like selling that idea right now is like the, the what I'm currently um, forced with. My constraint is honestly resources. Like I've got the tool. I don't have the people. Like I need the people and it's expensive. Like you consultants are expensive, <laughs> you know, and it's really hard to find people with this school set, skill set. And, um, you know, I love to train people and get people excited who are excited about, you know, this technology. I always say that there's, um, I've gone to a couple FP&A networking events and, you know, a lot of leaders talk about this. Where is that finance slash tech person? They understand finance. They understand the BI and the technology and that happy road meets. There's not many people out there in that space. And I call them the mythical unicorn that I'm always trying to find. Um, but you know, there's just, there's not enough supply and there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of competition with people with the skill set. And, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of my roadblock at the moment to kind of move forward past that is just, you know, 
getting getting folks with the skill set and not paying like a lot of money for it <laughs> like not like I'm really speaking to you you know the consultants rate I you know we have a lot of that but I kind of want some good people in-house and that for projects like you know I can't just kind of do that because I'm limited in the corporate environment they always want you to spend less and do more so that's just the nature of being in a big corporation. <laughs> no, it's very true. Talent is hard to find, especially when you're trying to combine. All right, you need to know finance and you need to be technical. So I'm curious, do you think it'd be easier to find somebody who's technical? Maybe they know Anaplan really, really well, or not even Anaplan, a, a similar software and product where they, they learn quickly. They have that analytical mind. Could you teach them the finance side to be effective? Or would it be easier to find a finance uh, guru and teach them the modeling side? You know, I honestly don't think either one is easier. I think they both have a different set of problems. You know, um, you you have technical people who just love what they're doing and they just want to keep their heads down and, and, and get it get it done. And they get they're so creative and they go down these tangents and these rabbit holes and you know, and, and that's really healthy. But when you're in finance, there are deadlines, things need to be accurate, they need to be like, you know, and there's not a lot of time for creativity sometimes, because you've got a deadline to meet, and you got to make that new thing. And so if things don't tie out, you lose people, right? Um, they kind of, it, it could be the data itself, right? They'll sit there and they'll say, oh, that's, that's the tools problem. Like it must not be a bad tool, right? And so teaching that to a tech person, sometimes they're like, I'm not interested. You know, vice versa, a, a finance person was like, well, there's a reason I went in finance and not tech and I, IT. You know, I didn't want to do that because it was too confusing for me. I like to tie things out to a penny. I like when the math works and, you know, they they go into that. So you... I feel like you really have to find the people that find both sides of that interesting. And there's, there's pros and cons to both. So I don't think it's easier to do one or the other because I've, I've seen both, but I tell you what, if I find a tech person who's like really interested in the finance world or a finance person that's really interested in the tech world, I will go out on a limb and say, let's bring this person on board. Let's let's teach them. Let's give them the opportunity. And you know, I'm happy to say that there's a few of them that come to my mind that have done that. They they don't work for me anymore, but they've gone on and they've really kind of capitalized on that because um, they had the opportunity, they had the training, and I I wish them all the success in the world. I hope one day they say, hey, I want to come back, you know, and, and work with me. Cause that just will be like, you know, I, I did a good job kind of leading them and helping mold them. So their success, I feel like is my success if they're able to kind of go down that path. I think that's actually quite a humbling approach you're taking kind of personally as well. Right. Cause you see as a leader, you see all the internal struggles and, you know, uh, all the stuff you need to get done on a kind of maybe a selfish level, but at the same time, you do see the value of, um, the human relationships and and uh, just kind of helping developing other talent. And even if they do go away, you know, you still wish them the best. I think that's actually a good testament to a good leader too. Yeah. I mean, the longer you've been 
um, in the career that you're at, there are like people that I interviewed, they're like, they work with somebody I knew, like, even though you might not have a, you know, one or two people away relationship, people know what other people do. People talk, you know, your reputation really matters. So, you know, people will know and appreciate, you know, the things that you do for them on a personal level um, for their career. You know, was it easy to work with? Like if you were kind of a jerk in your ask, um, it stays with them, you know, like, oh, that person was a pain in the butt to work with. <laughs> and they leave and go, come back and, you know, maybe you're applying, you know, in the same company and that person, you know, just works with them and say, hey, I noticed you guys worked at the same company a couple of years ago. You have any insight? You know what they're going to remember you for? They're going to remember remember you for like, were you a jerk or not? Right? <laughs> were you a good person? Did you did you help me? You know, with my thing? Did did you go out of your way or did you present a roadblock for me? So I think you know people's like critical, and I learned that from a couple of professors in colleges and thought they were kind of full of smoke. It is so true. Networking is really important. It's kind of what brought me to you guys. No, exactly. People are the most important. I saw a post the other day. I was talking about uh, a toxic employee who has all the skills that you need, but the benefit of letting go of that toxic employee on the whole of the team is far greater than the skills that they provide to you. So you got to be a culture fit first. And yeah, I think reputation is huge. Your brand is everything, especially in these these industries where you might bounce around quite a bit, different industries or different companies to help them solve problems. If, if you're not doing your due diligence and being a good person and providing you know, benefits while also being humble along that journey, it's going to get around and you're going to kind of shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good thing. I will just say what's really maybe um, speaking to some of the leaders out there that have to deal with you know, teaching folks Anaplan and then they move on to a consulting firm or working for Anaplan themselves or a different company that's implementing Anaplan because that happens a lot. Um, I think what everyone should be really careful of doing is this is natural. I've seen this at companies, not, I'm going to, I'm not going to say who, but don't blame the problems that sprout up because now you're shorthanded on the person who left right? It, it does get back to them. People who are really passionate about what they do, they may love to where they worked. And then they find out later that you blame them for something that happened six months later after, because they weren't there because they were the ones that had that skill set. Like that's not something you should do um, as a leader. And I feel like we all know that in leaders of any department we're on, but I see it so often cross-functionally of it's the easy scapegoat and I don't think we should be doing that I think we should be all promoting each other you know everybody has pros and cons we should be elevating and helping all the things that we're good at and you know it's don't don't use the scapegoat because it reflects badly on you to everybody else who actually knows what's really happening yeah the the time it takes to blame that person is time you could have spent better teaching another person how to do the things that you miss from the, the employee who left. You sound like a, an amazing leader. Great insight. 
<laughs> it's refreshing to hear. I love. I enjoy talking to great leaders with with a, a wider picture of things and not just a one track mind of this is how I want to lead. I want to hit my deliverables, check the box, and and look good to my higher ups. You know, regardless of how people below me feel or how their career development goes. So you're very selfless in that sense, and I respect that. Thanks. I think it's important. It's I always wanted to be the leader I always wanted, and I've had some great leaders and some not so great leaders, and I just didn't want to do, I didn't want to do it the fast track way and bulldoze everybody in my path to get to where I want to do to be, only to nosedive in the future once everybody finds out my bull crap. I wanted to do it really smartly. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably probably where the term it's it's lonely at the top. It's because people bulldoze their way to the top and they don't have any friends when they get there. <laughs> yeah, then they move on to the next company. Um, now, I, I care about everybody that works for me. They may frustrate me from time to time, but I, I really do care about every every person I interact with. You know, it um, doesn't matter if they're an employee, a contractor, a consultant like I, I'm, I try, I keep in touch with the really good ones for the long term. If you scratch my back, I'm going to scratch yours. That's just the way it should be. Good to know. So we'll wrap up here with a fun question. You've been in many different industries. Uh, you're recently in healthcare and, and learning the ins and outs of that. Uh, but Anaplan's a very flexible platform. So if you had one use case you would love to build out, which isn't related to your customer need, just something that you're passionate about or you think would be interesting, what would that use case be? Wow, that's like a really grand question. <laughs> you know, um, gosh, you know, I, I would probably, I would probably step back and say, you know, it comes down to the process, right? If, if your approach is to be more accurate and to get people bought in, like I might be a little bit radical um, with, with, and I'll stick with finance, but, you know, budget and forecast is really a way you can cross collaborate with all the different departments if you bring them on board. And there are some finance part people that just do it in their department and they may ask a few questions of their business partners, but I say, don't, don't ask them questions and then go back to Anaplan and build it. Like you should really be bringing them along for the ride. Like have them make the inputs, have them make the assumptions, you know, and Anaplan really kind of does that. So if I was like to go to a new company, like actually that's probably what it is now that I'm, we're, we're speaking about this. If I had the opportunity to go somewhere else and build something where nothing existed before to make all these things, I would take the same approach. I would go every single one of those leaders and say, how do you look at your world? Okay, let me translate that into planning that'll influence the budget and the forecast for finance for the CFO. Like I would do that all day long, every day, if I had the opportunity and chance. I just feel like if you can change their process to put that in their hands if they get a buy-in you know it's they're more accountable and it's really just a negotiation at that point of here's what corporate you know or the head office thinks you can do versus the boots on the ground and you meet somewhere in a happy medium because you have to stretch everybody in order to meet your goals for 
your ownership, whether it be a board, you know, private equity, venture capitalist, or, you know, state stockholders, like you've got someone and all they want is for you to increase profit margins. So if you bring everybody else along for the ride and it's not just someone at corporate saying, here's your sales goal, go do it. And you're totally disconnected from them. Like no one's going to be able to do it. Like in order for you to stretch and grow your business, like you can, if you can get on and do that and Anaplan is a tool that, cause it's connected for all these and so customizable for everybody. That's kind of where you can, once you implement that tool and that process and get everybody involved, you get people bought in. It's kind of like a best case scenario when, in, in all aspects, it's going to be a successful thing. And then it's all about measuring it after that, you know, how, you know, how, you know, within a margin of error, how closer we are to our variance goal, like, and what do we have to do to kind of close the gap if we're short? You know, how, in moving everybody towards that, Anaplan just kind of allows you to do that um, after like, a, well, most of my implementations have been anywhere from eight to 14 weeks. So I'm going to say within eight to 14 weeks, you can get it done. Yeah, I think absolutely. And that might have been a little bit, a little bit of a soapbox kind of moment there. But <laughs> I think uh, as, as, our, as our consultants, I think that was actually kind of, in a good way, I think, uh, our, our consultants, um, I was just sitting here thinking, oh, that's, this is Consulting 101, <laughs> um, where it's, you're doing the implementations and hearing it from a real customer, I think it, it uh, the delivery, you know, makes it more meaningful, hearing it from an actual customer as to kind of the importance of, of truly getting to understand what is it that the customer wants and not just, not just taking it at face value. Yeah. Sometimes the most important things are that core foundation. Oh, exactly. You provided us with a lot of best practices around Anaplan, a lot of agnostic best practices, specifically in the leadership category uh, that I think our audience can really take and, and kind of mold it to their day-to-day and maybe improve some processes or influence changes or have better change management and bring people along for the journey, which is always fun when you can get other people passionate and involved in what you're doing. I mean, it's fun to go with friends. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know we all appreciate you sharing insight and having a really good conversation. So is there anything you want to share before we, we wrap this up? Oh, keep doing what you guys are doing. This is this is awesome. The more we can learn from one another, the better we all get. So huge fan. This is great. You know, I wish you guys all the success in the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. And maybe together we can break down some more silos. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Best Practice Podcast. We hope you have gained a few valuable insights from our guests and hosts during this episode. If you would like to hear more best practices, be sure to subscribe and follow along so you can catch every episode as we release them to the community on a weekly basis. 